Thank you, Ben. And it is my privilege to honestly be here. It's fun to uh, be able to open up God's Word and to come here and, and see some old friends. Uh, the, more, the longer that I get to do this, the more connections we make in the community and the more we recognize that we are all one body. And that's a very important thing uh, for us to recognize and remember. So one of the things I want to touch on, too, is that I am not a preacher. I went to school for uh, speech comm, not necessarily preach comm, and uh, Ben is a, a preacher. He brings a sermon every week. Typically, I do not do this. But what I am, and what I think all of us who are followers of Jesus should recognize, is that we are ministers of the gospel. It is our job to be able to open God's word and to encourage others, and that's what I hope to do this morning. So we're going to open up to uh, the book of Matthew. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. And I think in the uh, bulletin it indicated what page that was uh, in your pew Bible as well. So you can either listen uh, as I read it or follow along if you like. So Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning and as we Take a few minutes here, Lord Jesus, to just to consider what you are saying to us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak through me to each of our hearts. Uh, Give me the grace to use your scriptures well, to handle them well, and give us all ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So this particular scripture talks about two different groups of people. Uh, pretty clearly, it's talking about those who are uh, those who are believers and those who are unbelievers. Uh, in biblical times, goats and sheep would actually pasture. They would be in the pasture together. But at shearing time, they would separate the two of them, and because the obviously the sheep had more value, they were trying to get their wool from them, and the goats would be set aside. Now, I'm going to focus more so on the sheep portion of what this, uh, this portion of Scripture talks about. While it's important for, um, while it's important for us to, to think about the gospel and obviously to share the gospel, and I talked about a little bit ago being a minister of the gospel, we need to be willing to open our mouths and share the gospel to those around us. I'm also going to focus on the actions of what that means. And in this scripture, there's a lot of actions that happen. And we're going to focus on that this morning. Now, it's interesting that the king in this parable, uh, or Jesus, uh, is talking about those who had done unto him. They'd, they'd done it for others, but they'd done it unto him. And yet the righteous, those who know Jesus, those who followed after the Lord, they still asked Lord, when did we see you and do these things or visit you? Or when did we give you a drink? And Jesus answered, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And that is a hugely important thing that we need to recognize. And I'm going to hopefully flesh out a little bit this morning. That it's not only talking about those who may be at a place like the New Life Center. That's very important. We're going to talk about those folks. But I also want to challenge us this morning to think about those who are around us every day and what that means for them. <clears throat> now those, um, now Jesus talked about what you did for the least of these and those people, they saw a need. They looked around them and they saw a need. As we talked about uh, a little bit ago, I'm going to focus on the deeds that are done. Another verse in scripture uh, in James 2 <clears throat> Uh, James 2, verses 14 through 18, it also says, What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a, a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing for their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself unless it is accompanied by actions, is dead. Another example um, of that is a quote that you've maybe heard from uh, St. Francis of Assisi. And I love this, and it's, I think it's something that we at the New Life Center have the privilege of carrying out every day. Not only are we supposed to open our mouths, but St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. How important that is to show people, because it's easy to tell people, what to do, or what to think, or where to go. But you've got to have those actions with it, or the words really just do not matter. Now, like I said, we have the privilege at the New Life Center of carrying some of these things out. I mentioned earlier that we, uh, we shelter, we feed, and we clothe. In 2014, we sheltered 787 unique individuals, meaning 787 people came through the doors of our mission and stayed overnight with us at least one night. We averaged 87 people 
per night. Now we have 88 emergency beds. So every single night of the year, last year, we were about at capacity. And obviously, I said a little bit ago, I'm a speech comm major, not a mathematician, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that many nights of the year, we were over capacity to maintain that almost 100% capacity for the whole year. Last spring, there were a couple nights when we actually had, uh, I think there was 41 or 42 guys sleeping on the floor in addition to those who were in their beds. So our shelter was completely full, and we had, uh, it was, it was, I think it was 41 individuals sleeping on the floor uh, a couple nights last spring. Sprung, spring just kind of drug on a little bit. So their shelter, feeding. We feed those who are hungry. Uh, our dining hall is open to the public, so anyone, any one of you could come and stop and get a meal. We have three meals Monday through Friday, two meals Saturday and Sunday. We averaged 259 meals a day every single day of the year last year. And so that's 259 meals for individuals who were hungry uh, last year. Clothing. We have a thrift store on site, and I'm not going to make a plug for our store. While everything certainly is for sale, one of the neat things about our ministry, too, is that we also give away almost as much as we actually sell. 2,119 people last year received free clothing through the New Life Center. And that means when you donate clothing or things like that, we either sell it or give it away. But that means thousands of people either were fed, sheltered, or clothed through the New Life Center. And you think about that, and you start thinking about the numbers of people who are in need in the Fargo-Moorhead area. And sometimes that really starts to seem overwhelming, doesn't it? It's kind of like seeing Hurricane Katrina or the tsunami in Japan. Those things are so huge. And you think about the numbers of folks who come through our doors, and we are one of five shelters in the Fargo-Moorhead area. And sometimes we kind of seize up. We start thinking, boy, what what can I do that really is going to make a difference? Sometimes we start to think about Um, those acts of service. And we start to measure them, don't we? I mean, we all do this as those are maybe more significant. Someone has more significant opportunity to serve and my opportunity is not real big, so I'm going to probably put that a little lower on the list. So what really is a significant thing to do? What is a big thing to do or an important thing? Let's say, and I have had folks come up to me and say, oh, Rob, you are so blessed to be able to work at the New Life Center. I couldn't do that. You know, you are so blessed to be able to help folks in need. I just, I just couldn't do that type of work. Well, there's a, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a couple different examples of, of that um, just from my own experience. And I'm one of almost 30 employees at the New Life Center. Everyone has their own stories. When I was the assistant director, we, uh, so this would have been, I think it was probably about four years ago, we got a donation of boots from Red Wing, and it was about 150 pair of boots. And <clears throat> so we set them up in the chapel by pair. We let guys come in a few at a time. And this one gentleman sat down, and I could tell he was a little heavy. He had some physical challenges, and he, he was trying to get his shoes off. He was having trouble getting his shoes off. And I went over and I said, sir, can I help you? And I got down, 
and he didn't have socks on. He had on dress shoes that were way too small for his feet, and, and he was having trouble getting them off. So I pulled them off. I went into the store, got a clean pair of, of socks, brought them out there. I rolled them up, and I put them on his feet, and then I, f- I said, what size are you? And I, th- I think he said 11. I went and found some boots and pulled them on. And just that relief of him, oh, man, that feels good. And sometimes people hear stories like that and they think, that's pretty cool, but boy, I don't know that I could do that. I'm not sure that my service and whatever that is makes that big of an impact. Well, how about this? Recently, we put out a newsletter and uh, an 11-year-old boy read the newsletter. He read about someone in need on the cover, and we've got some newsletters in back. Uh, you're welcome to grab some of those. It was one of those newsletters. And he looked at it and sent in $6 in cash. Now, those $6 that that young boy sent in provided three meals for someone in need. And so my question to you is, and it's kind of a rhetorical question, I know, but to just really get us thinking, what is a significant act of service? Was it getting down and smelling, and I tell you what, those feet were awful smelly, or was it even that young boy who sent in a few dollars and fed someone? Each of us has that opportunity to change the course of someone's life, even through simple little acts of service. I think we way too easily get lost in the numbers and overwhelmed by the size of a problem. And I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. We think the important stuff is reserved for someone else. But we need to remember that, honestly, if each of us did something, even as something small and maybe insignificant as those $6 or those few meals, when we talk about those who are in need in our community, they would feel that much more connected and part of the community. So Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So really, let's take a second to think about who are the least of these. I mean, we don't use terminology like that today, do we? We don't go around and talk about the least of these. Uh, It may be a little insulting to someone if we said, you must be one of the least of these. So let's just change the that vernacular a little bit and think, who is in need? When we think about those in need, really, take just a second. Who comes to mind when you think about someone who's in need? Now, certainly, it's easy to say the men and women and children who come through the doors at the New Life Center. There's an easy population we can identify. Those folks are in need. But can you think of others who you come across in your daily lives who might be in need? Now, if you're like me, I think one of the things that we do is we look at life through, and this is very natural, this is what we do. We look at it through our experience or even through our perception. Because if we perceive something and we think that that is the way someone acts or the way someone is, in our minds, that's how it is. We start to break down different groups of people. And again, this happens even without us thinking about it. And we break them down I think unconsciously, into the we. We are all together here in church. We're part of the the body of Christ at Calvary here. And the they, don't we? I mean, it's, it's easy and it happens in a flash. And I'm not saying this to make anyone feel bad. It's a natural thing that we do. So something else maybe to think about instead of the we and the they. 
How about the have and the have-nots? We do that sometimes, too. So let's take a look from the Bible about who is an expert on the have and the have-nots. We're going to look at King David. Now, we're uh, likely familiar with King David. He was the greatest king of Israel. He was uh, in the line of Jesus, was one of his descendants. And he's also listed in chapter 11 of the, the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11. So what does King David have to say? Psalm 86 verse 1 says, Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Now, if King David, the greatest king of Israel, says, I am poor and needy, maybe I need to rethink about who it is when I think about those who might be in need. Honestly, King David would be the last person that I would think of. And I think it is really because he recognized his position before God Almighty. So who around you is the least of these? When I talk to men at the shelter, and, and, you know, I'm out on the floor, I'm not as much now as I was when I was the assistant director, but I run into guys, they're helping, they're, we're down in the dining hall talking to each other, they're helping unload a truck, whatever. And one of the things I say, if, if I don't have my name badge on, or someone says, you know, do you work here if I don't have a logo shirt on, I say, yeah, I do. Well, what's your job? I said, well, I, I work here. Well, what's your job? I said, well, I'm the executive director. And right away you can see the, okay, you're the director, you're the boss. And I hear guys say that, you're the boss. But what I say to them is, there really is no difference between me and Joe, the guy sleeping in bunk 10. Now, that may not sound quite right, but in reality, there is a difference. Socioeconomically, I have more stuff than they do. But the challenge and the problem is, if we are comparing each other to each other, then we start lining up our toys, and we start lining up our things, and we start recognizing that it's easy at that point to start breaking into the the we and the they. What I want to encourage all of us to do, just like King David did, he did not compare himself to others. He compared himself to God. And when we do that and really think about that, the purity of how perfect God is, we recognize pretty quickly the disparity between we and they. In reality, what King David said, I think, could be applied to every single one of us. For we are poor and in need. And we're in need of that life-changing touch from Christ. That touch that is only available through him. So when you look around you, I want you to consider and just think about if that's the case, those of us who are sitting in church on a Sunday morning are poor and in need, what about those of us in our neighborhoods or those of us at our places of work? How about those of us in our own families? Or maybe that guy who cut me off on the way to work when I was already late. We are all in need at that point. And it really brings it into a new light of who is poor and in need. Now, not only are we all poor and in need, but I think also that we all hurt at times. 
And there's, there's a lot of truth to that. My eyes have been opened to the hurts in people's, <clears throat> excuse me, in people's lives since I started working at the New Life Center. Almost all people who are homeless have been victims of or witnesses of either physical, emotional, or sexual violence. And that is just a fact. Either they've experienced it or they have seen it happen to someone around them. Some of the hurts that I see out of the men at the mission and the folks who come through for a meal, some of those hurts are physical hurts. Um, it, it just blew my mind to think that in this part of the country, we have folks who sleep in their car year-round. In our neighborhoods, in the middle of January, there may very well be someone sleeping in their vehicle. Honestly, and maybe I'm a little naive, I never realized that. And then I started to know, guys, uh, we are not too far from, uh, used to be Cretex. They were a concrete maker, a lot of cement culverts. They were just right off First Avenue North. And I started knowing guys who would sleep in those cement culverts at night if they couldn't get in the mission. And there's a variety of reasons they may not have been able to stay with us. Maybe they had been drinking or something else had been going on. And they'd show up the next day shivering, and I recognized the physical hurt of cold. Now, all of us have had cold toes and cold fingers, but if you are like me or our, or our boys, you know, we go out and we play in the snow, and we come back in and have a cup of hot chocolate. Um, these guys don't necessarily have that opportunity. Or maybe the physical hurt of uh, painful teeth. This was something, too. Again, my, uh, my ignorance was on full display when I went for the Thanksgiving meal and got raw carrots and um, what else was it? I, something else I picked up that was hard. And I brought it back, and Julie, our head cook at the time, said, Rob, you can get these, and that's fine, but we're going to have them left over. Oh, why is that, Julie? Don't they like raw carrots? Well, sure they do. But their teeth are terrible. They can't bite and chew them. Oh. So now I know. You've got to think a little differently. But that doesn't cross my mind, that type of pain. If I have a toothache, I go to the dentist, and I get it fixed. Some other types of hurt I see are in the loneliness, and I think this is something that we can all experience and acknowledge as well. God never intended for us to be alone. Even before the creation of the world, God himself lived in perfect unity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in perfect relationship with each other. When he created man, uh, it says in uh, Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone, so he created Eve. And on and on and on, there's relationship. And we talk about relationship with Jesus. That is the saving grace. of uh, We're saved by faith through grace in that relationship with Jesus. Now, while certainly we all enjoy times of solitude, and with, uh, I see some young kids, and we've all known, you know, we're all busy lives, and I enjoy getting away and just going to sit in the woods by myself for a little while, it's not good when we are extended, uh, when we're isolated and alone for extended periods of time. And I see that in the eyes and in the lives of those who come through our doors. They're surrounded by other people, but yet they're so lonely because there isn't anyone who's willing to listen to them or someone who has, takes the time to smile and say, how are you doing today? Or even knows they exist <clears throat> and they're staying at the New Life Center 
In verse 36 of today's scripture, Jesus talks about someone coming to visit the person in prison. And I think that is in direct relation to what I'm talking about here. The world has moved on, and no one knows that person in prison even exists. And they're alone and hurting. And I think that many of us experience this type of, this prison type of loneliness in our everyday lives. Every one of us at some point has felt this type of loneliness and separation. We know it exists in our neighborhoods. We know it exists in our college dormitories. And dare I say, at times, it even exists in our marriages. When we stop and take the time to truly connect with those around us, we are doing symbolically what this verse is talking about literally. We can take the time to come to a place, and I want to encourage each of you to consider taking time to come to a place like the New Life Center and help serve one of the evening meals, to look at one of the guys across the serving line and give him a plate and say, have a good evening, or come and shoot a game of pool, spending time with someone. But also I think it's so important when we take that time for those who are around us in our very lives and acknowledge they may need that same touch. Very important. And so as... I get ready to wrap up here. I uh, just want to recall again a little bit about what I'm talking about, that when we serve those in need, whether they be at the New Life Center or whether they be in our families, recognize that what Jesus is saying through this scripture is we are serving him. We are serving Jesus when we serve others. That's such an important thing to remember and also to consider truly how you might help those who are literally poor. Again, whether it's that friendship and acknowledgement of recognition, or whether it is uh, just like that 11-year-old boy who scraped together a little bit of his allowance and sent it in. That's very important. And when everything is said and done, for those of us who know Jesus and love him, we can look forward to hearing just like in verse 34, come, you who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this opportunity that we all have together to open your word and to consider what you are saying to us to consider what it means to care for those in need, to look at those around us in our everyday lives and recognize that each of us, whether it be in our work, in our neighborhood, in our, or in our own families, are in need. And that when we serve those in need, Lord Jesus, we are serving you. Help us to remember that and to put that into action. In Jesus' name, amen.